Hi guys. So today's show is formatted a bit differently. I wanted to do something completely different than what I've done here, um, usually on the show. So today we're not talking about murder. No one dies. No one gets maimed. We're talking about something near and dear to my heart that I enjoy talking about and fascinates me more than anything else besides cults, scams, and particularly MLMs. And even more particularly, we're going to discuss um, the documentary on Amazon Prime called Lula Rich that documents the rise and the fall of the company called LulaRoe. LulaRoe was still in existence today, so obviously we're not talking about a fall as in defunct, but I really enjoyed that documentary and uh, so did some of my friends. So they have joined me today and we did a segment where we really just talked about um, the documentary and the four parts that are there. Um, if you have not seen it, you should definitely check it out. I will say this at the top of the show as well. There aren't any real trigger warnings here because it's pretty PG, but I did want to say just for the sake of everyone's employers that all of the views expressed here on Murder Be Wrote and expressed by the people in our interview segment are completely their own thoughts and opinions and are not the thoughts of opinions or reflections of their employer. I do say that in the other segment, but I also wanted to put it at the top of the show just to make sure that I covered all the bases. So this was a lot of fun for me. Thank you guys, especially after last week's episode about Rodney Alcala. I wanted to do something completely different from that, but not to worry. We will get back to murder next week. And as always, you're listening to Murder Be Wrote. I'm your host, B. MLMs were developed in the 1950s, which they're called multi-level marketing. They have been controversial, a hot button topic to say the least. And anybody with a Facebook or Instagram account has probably felt the effects of MLMs. Whether you've been pitched a product yourself or watched someone else fall down the MLM rabbit hole. But what exactly is an MLM and how do they work? MLMs or multi-level marketing schemes are businesses, and I use that term loosely, that sell their products through distributors rather than retail or online stores. Popular examples include Mary Kay, Herbalife, Amway, uh, doTERRA, Scentsy, and Avon, just to name a few. In most cases, there's no special training or sales experience needed to become a distributor. As long as you can pay the initial quote-unquote investment fee, MLMs are more than willing to have you. The real trouble begins once you actually become a distributor, because not only do you usually have to pay an initial fee to join, but then you also have to buy a starter kit of products to sell. And depending on the MLM you join, this can run you anywhere from $50 to $5,000. The idea of this, of course, is that once you sell all the inventory you've bought from the company, you'll end up making more money than you originally spent. Unfortunately, even if you are able to sell all your inventory, which is a lot of times a challenge unto itself, you still only make a percentage of what you sell. The MLM gets a cut and every distributor in your upline does too. So 
the way uplines and downlines work is you get recruited by somebody who was recruited by somebody who was recruited by somebody. And this list goes all the way to the top. So most of the time, distributors don't make any money selling the products, but by recruiting someone else to join the MLM and pay their fees. So the more people you have in your downline, the more potential and passive income you get. So basically this would work as if we'll use myself and my two dogs, Duke and Athena. Obviously Duke and Athena cannot sell anything, but let's just say I have a dog treat business and Duke and Athena come to me and they say, oh, I see you sell dog treats. How can we get on in that action? And I say, here's the deal, guys. You have to join the company Dog Treat Inc., You'll sign up, you'll pay your starter kit fee, they'll send you your inventory of gourmet dog treats. And then when you start selling your dog treats, because you're on my team or my downline, um, you'll get a percentage of your sales, but I'll get a percentage because I got you involved in the company and the company will also take their percentage. So I akin it to what it looks like. Not Obviously, I'm not saying that before I say this, I'm not saying that record labels are a scam or anything like that, but very often we see people say things like, you know, they're an artist and they have to pay their management and their representation and their accountant and the person that mixes their sound on their music and whoever's pressing the album. Basically, there's all these people that get a cut of the money before you actually see any. And that is actually not any different with MLMs. And if you're in the downline, then you certainly are not going to make any money unless you also are signing up people to then be in your downline. So there's another one like major problem with MLMs. You don't actually make any money. Um, a website, magnifymoney.com, surveyed 1,049 multi-level marketing participants from a variety of MLMs and found out that most people were making less than 70 cents an hour before deducting business costs of courts and 60% of and 60% of the participants, wow, I cannot speak tonight, said that they made less than $500 in the past five years. For about $100 of annual profit, the fact that anybody would stay in an MLM for five minutes, let alone five years, seems a bit ridiculous. So that's obviously a major bone of contention, right? If you are doing all this selling of, of goods, you essentially, like people say, when they become their own boss or you own a business, for that first few years, you don't really see any business, you know, any real benefits. You're, you know, you're it, you're working 24 seven. You are essentially making less than minimum wage for what you are bringing in versus what your business costs are and how much you're actually working to make the business successful. And in this case, when you have many, many other people also selling the same thing, it becomes more difficult to be successful. To understand how MLMs are able to drag their participants along for years, we need to examine MLMs not as a business, but as a cult. Multi-level marketing schemes may not be religious organizations, but they are certainly forcing their participants to essentially drink the Kool-Aid. Rick Ross, not the rapper, but the executive director of the Ross Institute for the Study of Destructive Cults, Controversial Groups, and Movements, highlighted several cult warning signs to watch out for. When these signs are applied to MLMs, many of them ring very true. So let's start at the top. Number one, absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. 
what this means is that multi-level marketing schemes are a brilliant business model, but only for the people at the top of the company. Whenever someone enters an MLM, they buy a starter kit, which could potentially be hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of inventory. The person who bought the starter kit thinks they're making an investment, but the company is just really making a sale. It doesn't matter what the distributor does with the inventory once they have it. What matters is that the company has already made money, and then any commission the distributor makes from that inventory is just icing on the cake. The problem this system creates is a lack of accountability on the side of the MLM. People enter into MLMs with the mindset that they're going to get rich or at least make a decent amount of side income. As long as they think there's a pile of cash at the end of the rainbow, people will go into debt while trying to make money while they're in an MLM. Not only is this financially and emotionally stressful for the people inside the MLMs, but it also places a strain on their loved ones too. In an online complaint board, one woman, dubbed Valerie, detailed the horrifying experiences she faced when her husband became an Amway distributor. Valerie says, When I realized my husband would never be able to bring himself to do the things they asked in order to build the business, I asked and then begged that he stop spending the money on books and tapes, seminars, and major rallies. But he just kept going with it. And the longer I went, the more I realized that the primary reason we could not get any real help from our upline was that they were already making plenty of money from us off their share of the tapes, books, seminars, and rallies. Amway, like any other MLM, does not care about their distributors. Distributors don't care about other distributors. People like Valerie and her husband go broke or fall into debt while chasing the unrealistic success dangled by MLMs. Ultimately, that doesn't affect an MLM, not when they have hundreds or thousands of other participants that they will keep throwing their money into the company. When asked about the psychological or financial hardship that some participants faced, one multi-level marketing scheme, which we actually will be talking about at length later in the episode, LuLaRoe responded, quote, retail is not for everyone. Retailers own their own business and make their own decisions. The success of any business depends on its leaders' own respective and independent business goals and the strategies they employ to achieve those goals, end quote. While there may be some truth to this statement, LuLaRoe's lack of accountability for their employees is, well, disturbing. When these MLMs hold all the cards but refuse to take responsibility for any damages that their business model causes, it creates a dangerous psychological and financial situation for the distributors. Number two, no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. Sooner or later, the participants or their concerned loved ones begin to question the authority of the MLM. They begin to realize that they're spending money, not making it, and they want to know why. For instance, when Valerie questioned the other distributors of Amway, her criticisms were ignored and they continued to manipulate her husband. Finally, they asked one of their oh-so-caring sponsors to talk to him and get him to drop the business since he obviously was not going to work. Instead, they encouraged him to continue having contact with them behind her back, and then he got a credit card that Valerie did not know about and put $6,000 on it while pulling the bills out of the mail so that Valerie never saw them. This was because he was working a second job to try to pay, well, sorry, not her husband, but this is because Valerie had a second job to try to pay off the other two credit cards, 80 plus percent of which were charged up with stuff from Amway. Basically, Valerie was giving her husband $400 a month that he was supposed to be directly applying to charge cards. Instead, he was making the minimum payments and spending the cash on more motivational stuff from Amway. 
They told him he was doing the right thing because once he became successful, it would all be made up in spades. Most companies, when facing backlash from their employees, would try to address the claims. MLMs, however, teach their employees to shame anybody who says bad word or anything about the company. Douglas M. Brooks, an attorney who represents victims of pyramid schemes, describes what happens when a distributor questions an MLM's authority. You're trained to avoid people who question whether this is a viable business or not, which is exactly the same technique that cults use. They try to isolate you from people who question your belief system. I've been contacted by a number of people who deal with cult survivors and some of their clients are formal MLM people. MLMs like Avon and LuLaRoe are sending people into debt and psychological crisis. Not only do MLMs take no accountability for their actions, but they've designed their system in a way that blames the distributors for any loss they experience and then shames them for asking questions or for help. Number three, no meaningful financial disclosure. So what this means is that some of the top MLMs will make millions of dollars a year. LuLaRoe, for instance, went on to, went from making like zero to $2 billion in less than 10 years. That would be incredible, except for that most of that money was coming from their distributors and not actual customers. Becoming a LuLaRoe retailer was not cheap. Buying a startup kit from LuLaRoe started at about $4,900, and that's not including any other business costs, like storing your inventory or business cards or hangers or somewhere to put the inventory when you're selling it or doing lives or hosting parties as a way to generate um, sales. Some entrepreneurial websites estimate that it takes up to $15,000 of investment into LuLaRoe before you begin to see a profit. The point is, is that even though LuLaRoe and other MLMs discuss, disclose the amount of money they pull in, they don't necessarily point out that money isn't from selling products, but from recruiting distributors. They fool participants into thinking they're, quote, starting their own business, but the distributor is actually the customer. Number four, unreasonable fear about the outside world. So obviously MLMs aren't locking people in bunkers and telling them that the world is going to end. However, they are in their own way, promoting fear about the world outside of MLMs and isolating their distributors. The target audience for MLMs is usually mothers. Stay-at-home moms looking to generate a little side income are drawn in by the possibility of getting rich while working flexible hours. They're often used, they're also often attracted to the sense of belonging and community that an MLM provides. If all of your closest friends sell doTERRA essential oils and constantly boast about their success, you'd probably want to sell essential oils too, if only just to fit in. Unfortunately, once someone is in an MLM, they may begin to realize just how hard it is to sell products or recruit others. Since you're not able to own a store or even sell a unique product, your customer base is limited to family, friends, and people you meet on the street. MLMs encourage their members to sell this way too sometimes by providing scripted Facebook or Instagram posts. When you're trying to pitch a product to everyone you know, people get upset. Even if they don't chew you out for it, they'll probably start hanging out with you. And this is an understandable reaction, but it also forces participants to fall back on their MLM family for support, leading them further into the world of MLM until that's all that they know. When these participants do want to leave their MLM, they find it's a lot more difficult than just quitting their job. The MLM has become their family and their closest confidants. 
there is no legitimate reason to leave. And this is number five. Despite losing hundreds or thousands of dollars, distributors struggle to get out for two main reasons. The promise of potential wealth. Oftentimes, MLMs will advertise special prizes or rewards for their retailers while also toting their top 1% of successful distrib distributors for all to see. Who wouldn't be enticed by the possibility of a new car or thousands of dollars? Especially when all you need to do is just stick it out a little bit longer, invest a little bit more money, work a little harder. As I've mentioned before, participants have been isolated from their peers and have often become ingrained in their MLM community. Not only would the members shame them for leaving, but they'd be losing their friends too. Carolyn, a former director for Mary Kay, shared about her experience of leaving Mary Kay in an article on Pink Truth. I was heartbroken to walk away. I loved Mary Kay and I thought it had done and all I thought it had done for my family. All of my Mary Kay friends started to cut ties with me. I learned through the grapevine that I made myself look like a failure when I returned my inventory. Nothing I had done in 10 years of commitment, growth, overcoming obstacles, dedication to the people in my unit, dedication to Mary Kay's dream, nothing meant anything to the people who were supposed to be my friends after I quit. For some reasons, many participants stay in MLMs far too long, maybe long enough to rack up debt. Number six. Former members often re relate the same stories of abuse. Those who do manage to make it out of their MLMs rarely have good things to say. The internet is full of former MLM members warning others about the deception of these companies. One former retailer for Mary Kay, dubbed as Sad and Pink, wrote about the lie she was fed by Mary Kay. MLM is without risk. In Mary Kay, we are told that the company will buy back your inventory at 90% of your cost. The truth is that the company finds many ways to reduce the amount you get back by taking out the cost of awards, prizes, car expenses if unpaid, chargebacks if any of your team members leave before they mail the check. You don't get refund if any of your out-of-pocket costs for training, supplies, postage, gas, etc. And those things add up fast. Plus, you face the debt if you came in with a big inventory and cannot move it. I know people who have friends who moved up to directorship and are now deep in debt. They were not lazy. They made every effort to move up, but it doesn't work. Often, it's when someone leaves an MLM, they begin to realize just how much they were being influenced or deceived, much like an actual cult. Followers feel like they can never be good enough. Besides financial devastation, MLMs also dabble in psychological abuse, if you haven't already picked up on that. It's obvious that most participants don't make money, yet MLMs only advertise the success of rare distributors who do profit. This tactic makes most retailers feel like failures. Surely if you could just work hard enough, you'd be rich, right? And that's the attitude with MLMs and other distributors, and that's what they try to promote. As time goes on and participants lose more money, their self-esteem diminishes and they feel at fault for their failures. Anytime they attempt to blame the MLM system, the blame is only shifted back to them by other distributors who are willing, who are unwilling to accept criticisms about the company. This, coupled with financial de devastation and conflict with loved ones, makes for a nasty cocktail of psychological crisis. 
Multi-level marketing schemes may try and masquerade as legitimate, profitable organizations, but their business practices resemble cults more than actual companies. So thank you guys for joining me for this episode of Murder View Road. And like I promised, we won't be talking about murder this time. We will just be talking about uh, scams, fraud, if you will, um, and, you know, America's most favorite type of scam and fraud, MLMs. Yay. And as a my type treat, of favorite. Yes, it is a treat. You hear other voices for the first time ever in Murder Bureau history. I have two very special and illustrious guests with me today. I have my friends Ashley and Warnessa. Thank you guys so much for being on the show to talk MLMs with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for trusting us to talk. Yeah, happy to be here. Yay, I'm excited. Um, so I guess I'll start it off by asking you the obvious question. Have you ever been involved in an MLM? <laughs> When you say involved, in do you mean, what? Dating in LA feels like an MLM. I'm gonna be honest. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, hey, it might be. I was I, I cannot um, <laughs> attest to that. But <laughs> <laughs> I have not been involved in an MLM. I have not uh, been somebody that's been a distributor for an MLM, but I have done, you know, a sympathy purchase or two from friends of mine who have been in MLMs. So, okay. So here's another question. What is your favorite MLM? <laughs> Currently, who's the best, who's doing the best MLM scamming right now? Herbalife. And maybe Herbalife probably is. Yeah, I think so. The, and the good thing about Herbalife is you got, can we say the N word here? Yes. <laughs> okay. You got niggas with no shirts on out here trying to sell. So I'm like, yes, I like to watch it. My favorite, when I was active on Facebook, I, I think my favorite one that gave me a good chuckle was it works. Um, Isn't that the, like, was, like the, 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 tummy the tea? It was the, like the saran oh, wrap. The wraps, yes. Oh, was yes. Wraps. And it was, that was the one that had most of my, I wouldn't even call them friends, but most of the people I knew from high school hitting me up with the random, hey girl, you know, in my, in my inbox. That, and there was another one. I, I don't even know if y'all know about it because it was just, it was such a flash in the pan in my memory. But I just remember back, um, in school, I met a girl and when we were talking about what we were doing, she told me that she sold healthy coffee. And yeah, I was, was like, like, what are you talking about? Organa something? Oh, it's okay. Organa go. Do y'all remember that? Like yeah, what happened to that? In Galleria, you would always see people going to the meetings. I, I, she was like, I sell healthy coffee. And, the, and what stuck out to me so much about that was that she wasn't even buying her own bullshit when she like kind of nodded and closed her eyes to herself. She was like, yes, I sell healthy coffee. Like she's really trying to convince herself that that is what it was. I don't know, but that one always <laughs> stuck out to me. They're all coffee is a diuretic love. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I do. At least I, I think, I think for that one, when I looked it up, I mean, it was talking about, you know, like curing diabetes and like all types of magical properties that it had. And I'm like, this is 
literally instant coffee. Yeah, you <laughs> what in the Dr. Sibby is going on over there? <laughs> but go off. Because I just always wondered. I've, <laughs> I've always wondered, but I never really had the nerve to ask because I mind my business a lot nowadays. But I always wonder, I'm like, how did you get into this? Like, who recruited you? Like, who's the one you know, that you in? like want to make money? Yeah, that's oh, right. somebody Craigslist. Probably so. That's how a lot of these people get into them. Is that, selling, how they get, is that how they get you selling knives, like pre, prepaid legal and mm-hmm. vector knives? Isn't that how they get you? It's Craigslist. The prepaid. Oh wait, prepaid legal. legal was an MLM. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, ain't that the one Jody Arias works for? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> but I think my yeah. favorite is when they're doing the MLMs and they post on their like social media. And then they ask this random ass question. And then you'd be like, yeah. And they're like, DM me. And I can tell you about the flat Tommy T. I thought you said, do you, have you ever driven a car? <laughs> there's that. And then there, there's another the really dear friend of mine. She's been in, I think at least two. Um, Cause she did the like passion parties. Oh. Right. She had that one. And then I think she was also involved in Young Living. And I just remember seeing every other post on her Facebook talking about, um, you know, like how wonderful these oils were for her. And thank goodness she has this to get through her day. And thank goodness she has that to get through her day. And I was like, you've made it this far already without any of these things. All right. Just take care like everybody else. What is Young Living? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Never, you haven't heard of the, the long Young Living oils? No. What the oh. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. I, I'll... um. From from what I I'm not a, an expert in MLMs at all by any means, but Young Living is, from what I understand, an essential oils company. Mm. Am I right, Wanessa? I don't know. I know. Uh, <laughs> I've never I think- heard this. Never okay, heard. No, yeah, look at uh, look look it up and then correct me if I'm wrong before you air this. <laughs> but <laughs> or just be wrong because they're wrong anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I believe it's an essential oil company, and um, the the tag was something about you know when I see people selling it, they you know they're like kick chemicals to the curb, live like a chemical free lifestyle, to make all types of different home remedy things or like homemade cleaning products and stuff like that but it just always annoyed me when I see people say kick chemicals to the curb because I'm like what y'all think h2o is like everything is a chemical like literally everything is a chemical like I hate that like it's it's something about you know they're like pure oils I think that they're ingestible and like other oils or something like that I want I don't think he was a Mormon but you know it might be Mormon related I don't know it might isn't it all so and I, I and it might be from someone who because you know people who um I don't even know if this is the fact or not either but it seems like people who come up with MLMs have come up with several different kinds you know they don't just stick with the one you know when one stops mm-hmm. then they come yeah because like, then you can be like oh well nearing. Yeah, it's right. be like, oh, well, that didn't work out, you know, but I'm now I'm doing this new thing that's a hundred times better. You always have to have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. That way yeah. you can keep getting money from the people who Amherst like were yeah. still there when the sick, like the ship sunk. Like they're still on board, that right. you just don't have anything to sell them anymore. So they're like, yeah. Is- you still got all that shit in your living room. Come buy more of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? 
And in all honesty, if you have my brother's god sister, she like actually like making it in Mary Kay. Like her and her people had a probate and everything. Like when she got they had like a probate when they got when she got the pink Cadillac. They like all came out in matching out matching Mary Kay outfits. But she actually got the Cadillac. She got two Cadillacs, bro. Oh, how much Mary did she? That's a lot of Mary Kay. Um, I mean, but it's it's not about how much you sell, right? Isn't it about like how much you order? I'm not mm. sure with Mary Kay. I mean, because Mary Kay seems like it's a legit business. I've had some of their mascara before. It's great, actually. But yeah, it's still an MLM. It yeah, is. It is. And I think that's the, the part which we won't talk about really a lot in this segment, but that's kind of the defining thing about MLMs and how they manage to still operate, right? Like they're, they can't, the idea is you're not an MLM if the focus on is on the product being sold, like the money and profits mm-hmm. have to be from the product. Mm. If it's from you recruiting people, then that's an M- that's technically an MLM. Is the whole or structure. Is, is that is that and this isn't in my purview for my job necessarily, but I'm not sure if that's even necessarily the difference between a multi-level market. Like I think one is the legal way to do multi-level marketing like Mary Kay and the right. other where you're getting your um you're getting your bonus monies and things like that from recruits is probably an illegal pyramid scheme <laughs> correct so one so yeah they're all MLMs but one is classified as a pyramid scheme correct yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah we one, one will get you locked up products, you know what I'm saying they was like we not about to legalize prostitution through an MLM. Mm-mm. I was like, yeah, one, yeah, one of them will get you in trouble with, with, you know, with the state's attorney. The other one, you can just keep operating through Facebook. It's fine. And uh, all of them will. And make you can you do a documentary and just sit there and tell all your business. Yes, <laughs> which reminds while we're here, documentary. Yes, so we're gonna <laughs> transition. So we all watched LuLaRoe, which is the document. Well, Lula Rich, which is the documentary that covers the multi-level marketing business known as LuLaRoe. Um, it's a four-part documentary on Amazon Prime. If anybody wants to watch it, um, it's actually really, really well made. And I believe the people that did this one also are responsible for the fire fraud one, um, the one um, about WeWork, and the one about Elizabeth Holmes, about the- Oh, WeWork? I don't yeah, know what that is. I don't see what that is. I heard that's a scam too. Yeah, what is so, that? They, so they've done all scam documentaries. So yeah. the Elizabeth Holmes scam with Theranos, WeWork, Firefest, and now this one. Okay. So WeWork basically was a, basically you would set up these buildings and you could go there and have workspace. Like, I don't, I have a business. I don't have anywhere to operate my business. I go here and we rent space and our business oh, like is in a, this building. Like a virtual office? Like a shared workspace. Oh, so it was a physical yeah. place. Like a, oh, Okay. Commune, like, if, like a yeah, kid. like if, yeah, exactly. Like a, a y'all send me the link commune. to this one so I can watch this one. <laughs> that one started off a little slow. It's on Hulu. Um, yeah, I don't think I finished it just because I was like, I don't care about the intricate works of WeWork. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Thing. Like they somehow got it, like got an evaluation of like a billion dollars off being like literally a bunch of like rentable office space. That's it. That's how WeWork. bizarre. Okay. <laughs> um. So LuLaRoe. Uh, we meet in the beginning of this Deanne Startup Stidman. So her maiden name is Startup. <laughs> uh, so she is a very nice Mormon lady. She is 10 of, a, 10 of 11 children. She's a twin. Um, and so she says that she starts LuLaRoe in like 2012. 
and she's a single mom and she just makes some maxi skirts for her kid and her kid's friends is how this all starts out. But I will point out that uh, like four years later at the height of like LuLaRoe, that was 2016, they reported nearly $2 billion in sales and had about 80,000 independent consultants. So that is a lot of growth from one person in 2012 to 80,000 in 2016. So what was y'all's impression of Deanne and Mark? They is the whitest people I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Only dude, white people yeah. can get away with this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Black people have been doing hair in a kitchen forever and you you not you're not making a billion dollars off of that like if there's a way for you to sell courses on how to do hair out of your kitchen make but nobody i just my first impression was like only white people could get away with this i'm gonna say that my first impression was this woman is very very excited (laughs) and i had a hard time like focusing because her voice was so high pitched <laughs> but um it's it seems like I don't know I just got the feeling that she didn't really know what was going on <laughs> actually I got the opposite though number one I commend her for wearing her own ugly ass skirt um oh, I, I actually thought the skirt was cute girl, no I didn't see Amazon. They don't have no back to it. Anyway, um, but it was one thing that caught me where I was like, she planned them, but she's the brains of this operation. When her husband tried to say something once and she was like, uh-uh, you're going to tell too much of our business. This is what really happened. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> she wanted them. She, she, her mama's child. Cause her mama, like literally, she knows yeah. how to be the damsel in distress white woman that you know what i'm saying the white woman victim type thing that turned it into a billion dollars and that's where i got from i was like yeah she a scammer she's literally city girls ain't got nothing on this woman like she is a scammer and she got her husband literally he was literally about to tell he was like let me pull back the curtain because i'm us she was like you not us i'm us let me close this curtain back <laughs> And like, only tell y'all what y'all need to know. And I was like, hmm, duly noted. And I think that's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think that's why they like interspersed the clips of like their depositions where they're like, I don't recall. I don't know. I don't recall. To kind of give you that juxtaposition because they're sitting there smiling, talking about how everything is so wonderful, but then like they're being deposed and they're just like, oh no. Which I mean, obviously... I, 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 gotta, I think that's probably how that's supposed to go. You probably shouldn't tell them about all the illegal shit you did in the deposition. But <laughs> her husband was just about, they had one question. He was like, well, I'm going to start with, she was like, you're not going to start with nothing. Sit back. Sit you, back. Have, you have a habit of just telling everything. Sit back, Mark. I also <laughs> definitely feel like when they're, they were trying to be convincing that they're there, you know, to help other people and to help moms and families and stuff like that. But the way Deanne's eyes would get big when she said the word money. Mm. Like it was yeah. very clear to me that this was about money. And mm-hmm. even in the little clips where they were, I guess they were having these um, little Facebook live shout outs, you know, about, um, you know, how to grow their business or here's an incentive or something. Even in the background, he's like, there's no incentive. The incentive is you're going to make money. 
money, you know, money, 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 money. And I get it. We live in a capitalistic society, but it's just, it was kind of gross on the money aspect um, to me. I was like, ew. <laughs> so but what I did love also, especially me being a storyteller, I love juxtaposition of them showing how she'd been a scammer her entire life. Like we get straight into it in the sense of like, she used to go buy these dresses in a back alley and sell them to her friends. Like, so it's like, girl, this is ingrained in you. You you be out here really like, I mean, which it's a legitimate scam. You know what I'm saying? Like if you Mine want swap to dress me dresses and then sell it for a markup. Who hasn't done it? Like came literally to the man in the back alley and was like, oh, you're not getting no business? Let me go introduce you to these women with nothing but money. And so it literally was like, she, they built her character so well by starting off with saying, number one, her mama was a scammer. So it's like hereditary that they out here. Wait, how was her mom a scammer? I thought she had like a catering business. The mom had a catering business, but remember they're Mormons. So let's, so we'll take a step back. So they, they are practicing members at the LDS church, the Latter-day Saints church, uh, which coincidentally is apparently the case for a lot of MLM founders. Didn't know that, but that's apparently a thing with them. Yeah. Not that we're saying that all Mormons are scammers. No, Mormons we're not saying lovely that. People. <laughs> Love, have met some lovely people that are part of the LDS church. So not saying that all of them are scammers. I will make that disclaimer. And I will also make this disclaimer right now before we get into it, that all of the views expressed here are our own views. They are not the views of our employer or anyone else. Um, and I will make that distinction again at the top of the show, but now as well. Um, Thanks, Bill. <laughs> but yeah, so I found some like, did some digging. Actually, uh, Deanne and her family, she is the great, great granddaughter of, what is that man's name? Shit, I can't think. Um, what was some like candy shop? Hiram Smith, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church. Hiram Smith is his brother. She is the great, great granddaughter of Hiram Smith. So she is like LDS royalty, practically. Royalty. Yeah, mm. like, so this, but the mom to Marianne, I think is her name, maybe. Marianne startup and the dad wrote these books basically about how to keep a man is what it was like, it was mm. like how to how to get a man and, and keep one and also did some, yeah at which i also did some more digging apparently a lot of the information from these books they wrote was jacked from somebody else's book that they wrote that was also jacked from some pamphlets that were written in 1920 about how to be a good wife oh yeah so the, yeah so her mom is a scammer actually. her mom was, yeah, her mom was peddling how to, like yeah how to be a good wife yes so I appreciated that from the documentary that they really set up her character um and then also Chuck the the, the husband's character about like how his dad ingrained in him to be an entrepreneur um and and why he has such an entrepreneurial like um spirit yeah. Because those men are different types of men. Not going to lie, I've dated my fair share of them. And their minds just work differently. Right. Uh, when, when niggas don't want to clock in. You know what I'm saying? No, when he said that he would rather be broke than only make a salary working for somebody else for the rest of his life. And like, I I don't, I that's not my ministry. Not the entrepreneurial that way. spirit is not 
does not reside in me because I, I, I'm just wondering if people who say that have ever been broke before. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can distinctly recall having no dollars. So I, you know, like I, that is a very not distant memory for me. So for me, like people, people that quit their jobs without another job lined up, that's, I can't, that's the level of faith in the Lord that I just, I don't have. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to pray I for can, it. I can pray <laughs> about it, but it's, but I just, I don't feel like even if the Lord was like, the Lord could probably come down and be like, yes, for me, quit that job. It is okay. If you don't have another job, I would be like, Jesus, are you sure? Because I don't want to, I, yeah, I just, I'm not built for that. Like that idea of not knowing where the money is coming from. No, that's not going to work. I'm like the only one that is. Listen, and we respect and love you for it. That is what makes you, you, but girl, I can't, and you built, you built stronger than me because I, Lord, give us that word. So <laughs> that's a different level. Like it's a, and it was a different time. Like he just did it. What what it said to me and how it really set the husband up was his daddy was like, I don't want to work, and he passed that on to his son who was like, I don't want to work. So then he was in an airport. He met a woman with a whole bunch of kids. And she worked hard and he was like, oh, I'm about to, you know, get on this train because she a hard worker. And I think that's very interesting how they say, like, but, and what ends up happening is, is that's the model of LuLaRue. It is. It's literally like the woman go work, she set it up and then the husband take it over. And so yeah, it's literally it a mirror to their life. So kudos to the documentary makers for like really setting it up in the beginning of that these people, these are their characters, these are their characteristics, and then it paid off and they made it the structure of their company, which is mind boggling, but yes. Right, but it, you know, but again, it's like, if you, if this is the life you're living, that it makes the most sense, right? Like if you're gonna structure something as a business, you're gonna do what's worked for you. So this lady's working hard, hawking her swap meat, Sunday school, you know, Sunday finest, you know, kids dresses. And now she's hawking these maxi skirts. And he was like, I see a business opportunity. Hold on. So can, can I can I just ask real quick? Because I remember this was like the early 2010s or whatever. How many maxi skirts did we own at the height of maxi skirt popularity? I actually own none. <laughs> But you and know, I don't think you I ever. Day who owns a lot of them? I don't think I ever owned a maxi skirt. I would get. I had like a maxi dress. I have plenty of maxi dresses, but not no maxi dresses. Yeah, but just the skirt by itself. And then that, and then that also goes on to play with um, the modesty in the Mormon Church with the way that their outfits were created because. Mm -hmm. I just remember hearing from one Mormon woman that modest was hottest. And I just thought that was so cute and clever. But um, I have just never seen anyone just straight out wear maxi skirts besides people who purchase LuLaRoe. I'll be honest, there's somebody here close to me that owned a lot of maxi skirts. Um, I used to live with her. <laughs> so that says a lot. You know what I'm saying? Oh. It's a certain demographic. That be out here fucking with the maxi skirts. Well, also, oh. I will say this about me and like maxi skirts. Like that is never something that I purchase for myself because I am short. 
And when you are short, long things on your body don't look right. So like a maxi dress is okay because it creates like a certain silhouette and it's from here down, but from the waist down where the shortest part of me, my legs is the thing that that's too much fabric. It looks horrible. Like that, it just, it's dragging the ground in the back and you have to like knot it on the side. Like it's a lot. Okay. That's not an attractive look for short people. So God bless them if they're pulling it off with their large belts and they're like tank or whatever, you know, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's an upgrade. In, in Mormon church, it's an upgrade because, you know, they, they be wearing the hell out of some jean skirts. And so they was like, oh, now I can, I can get comfortable with it. It could just be like fabric turn up let's go i can wear it to church too yeah so put, put some flowers on it so i can make it make it to church girl i got yeah. it. my pair yeah. with a blazer would be real cute <laughs> so i'll say like recently when you had asked us about doing the show with you um vermeek i went ahead and i looked up um the website for lula road because i know you can't necessarily buy them online but you can like find a distributor that yes. can get stuff for you online and I'm not gonna lie I thought some of the items were actually super cute um there are some things that I would wear even though I'm kind of min minimalist in my aesthetic and LuLaRoe is far from a minimalist Minimal um it's very good for those of I, you who have not seen it I cheat I that's an excellent suggestion you may want to just go peruse the website if you didn't know anybody on Facebook that had the little parties that was hold that were holding up leggings and shirts and shit and selling them, like, yeah, you should definitely go take a look because that was some of the gaudiest, weirdly patterned shit I've ever seen. Have you all been to like the Facebook Lula Row parties? I've never been to one, so I I, I, I I didn't know that this was a thing until I watched the documentary, and I said, you know what, that really shows a target audience because that wasn't me. No, and I well, think they did say it was a white girl business in the documentary. Yeah, the one black person that we get it. We're all African American women. But that yeah, one black one, woman, who was she selling to? She seemed like she kind of had a demographic where she worked amongst white people. And so she probably curated a certain type of Facebook where she was kind of seeing everybody. So she had mm. people to sell to. And I think she had also I, said that she had been in the retail business for quite some yeah. time before that. Yeah. So I think she had kind of a built-in audience for that where I don't think we would. Like I, or I don't, was like, know. quote, unquote, Lula famous already because everybody knew her when, because oh, what was she part of? She was like the onboarding mm -hmm. process. Right. So they yeah. already all kind of knew who she was, which mm -hmm. let's kind of discuss the onboarding. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so this apparently was a big thing, right? They're all talking about how you would be waiting for the call and it was like three to six months sometimes or longer for them to onboard you. Um, so just the kind of overall package. So initially when they started up, it was minimum of like $5,000 to join LuLaRoe. Like that was the starting package. That was the minimum one. Um, I will say now it's $4.99, but at the height of this, <laughs> five grand to get in LuLaRoe. And they were telling people not to go into debt, but also if you have to sell your breast milk to the NICU, wink, wink, just totally do it. Um, to come up with the money because this was going to change your life. So these people are maxing out credit cards, taking out loans, doing whatever they need to do to come up with this money, thinking that this is going to change their lives. Um, so you don't sell this. So they don't sell LuLaRoe directly to you. Like Ashley was saying on the website, you have to find somebody who's a distributor. 
The problem with people being distributors and paying $5,000 was that you didn't get to pick the inventory. You paid five grand and they sent you whatever the fuck they wanted to. You didn't get to pick the patterns, the sizes, none of that. They just sent you a kit and whatever. And then if you signed up other people to sell under you, which they called your downline, then you got a percentage of those people's sales and a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah. I, I have a question with that. So did you put the, the like before you could be on, onboarded? Because I guess I was unclear about that. Do you pay the money and then you wait to be onboarded? Or do you get onboarded and then you pay the money? The way they made it seem in the documentary was that like you could sign up for everything and then basically they would you'd be waiting for a call from them like you got to have the money on hand or they're skipping you but you're not paying anything until they call you and say hey are you ready for onboarding and they're taking your credit card over the phone so you I did, like oh go i ahead. did find out in my research that before or like the minimum package right was that five thousand dollar package and i did not um, ascertain because I do actually have a coworker who has just finally gotten rid of all of her inventory um, of her LuLaRoe stuff when she was um, when she was quitting her business. Um, so I didn't figure out exactly how many items that was for the $5,000, but it used to be um, there was, you could do 2,500 and they would loan you, I don't think it was like necessarily finance but they would like loan you the other 2500 and they would take uh, to get that repaid out from I guess the sales that you would make or the purchases you would mm -hmm. make and then I believe they weren't getting their money back when that process started so that's when they went to the, the straight five thousand dollars but by the time they did that it was so popular already that people were doing what they needed to do to get the five thousand so you so. just sitting there on $5,000, wait, like, you know, like waiting, like, that goes back to like, this is a target audience. Like, cause I need my $5,000. I just can't be sitting up here waiting on somebody. So you telling me I'm waiting on somebody to call me so I can spend money. <laughs> yeah. Spend money, make money. That's yeah, what I they need say. that, but I'm sitting up here, but I'm holding 5k. Yeah, like you, you basically were, I, you, I have to get this money just in case these people call. And then when they call, I'm going to give them my credit card information over the phone. We're going to scream and be excited. And then they're going to send me leggings that I have no choice about. <laughs> um, you know what? I can't leggings. sit up there and criticize them because I wasn't in it. But right now, this seems very dumb. Well, I mean, I guess to, in their defense, they were being told, you know, that this is, you know, this is going to make you a lot of money and you're going to be able to stay at home with your kids. So, I mean, they sell the, they sell them. I mean, that's what they're all told, right? They're, they're all, mm -hmm. all of the MLMs I have come across, you know, from people selling them on Facebook or anywhere. It's the lie of part-time work for full-time pay. Right. And yeah. any of the people that I know that have been involved in MLMs will tell you it's absolutely not part-time work it is like you really have to put yourself out there and be out there to make any type of profit on there um, well, I mean I think it's much like any type of business if you were an entrepreneur it's like any type of business or side hustle like mm -hmm. people that say oh I quit my job and I went into business for myself which is great 
but that means that you also were in charge of everything that goes on there and you were on call 24 seven. And when something is going wrong, you're in charge of that and you're in charge of HR and you're in charge of customer complaints and whatever the fuck else that goes wrong at the business that you were running. So mm-hmm. I think that's the part that people fail to see. It is like, if you started your own business, they're like, oh, right. you're a business person. Well, you are, yes, but that you having a successful business hinges on you being able to work around the clock though that first bit of time, right? Years for some people, months for others, whatever. But it's not an immediate payoff. And so the and expectation- And it's not even only that because they, they try to make it seem like because it's so popular, it basically like sells itself, right? But even in a situation like LuLaRoe and an MLM, you can put as much time and money- an effort in as you can, but that won't necessarily guarantee your success because that your success doesn't come from sales, right? Your success would come from recruitment and how big your line is, is and what level in the company you are. And so it's really only those people that get in at the beginning that have that opportunity because you're going to run out of like the human population by the well, time and right if ever and then think about like there are certain demographics of people right because if mm-hmm. i live in wherever i live and i'm going to sell LuLaRoe and i'm selling it through facebook like i only know so many people like the town is only so big and then if someone sees me selling LuLaRoe and i'm like yeah it's great let me get you on board and then we'll get some other people on board well now you have a team underneath you that has six people on it well that's seven of you selling LuLaRoe if you know each other then who are you selling to? Right, like, right. How, how is this creating a network when you all knew each other somehow? Like your network is not big enough for a lot of these people to have 20 people selling LuLaRoe under them and everyone make a profit. Like it's, it's just not feasible or sustainable, which is what but we shout, see. But, but, but shout out to them being like ultimate scammers and being creative in the sense of like saying, listen, we, all pieces are so like, they're such individual pieces. Like they're so rare that it's okay that y'all are all selling to the same people because Stephanie over here wants the hamburger pants. You don't have the hamburger pants. Tanya has the hamburger pants. So they like fed that like, yeah, it's okay that it's 12 of y'all in a city of 28 selling Lulu Road. Like, Y'all don't all have the same inventory. It's cool. So cool. I like shout out. I like to shout out a scam when I see it, a creative scam. And they were very creative in the sense of like saying, it's fine. It's cool. It's not like herbal life where all of y'all are selling the same shake. It's literally cool because yeah, we you not gonna know what kind of inventory you getting until you open up the box. But I promise you, your box is different from Tanya's box that live next door and y'all selling the same shit. So let's get into the other part of this. Uh, a lot of people that stopped selling LuLaRoe said that LuLaRoe was felt very culty to them. And we know mama loves a good cult. I <laughs> I love a good cult. Um, so it, it did give me cult vibes because we find out that like you go to these conventions and pretty much everyone there was very meticulously put together in their LuLaRoe outfits. Everyone's hair is blonde. And, well, to make a long story short, pretty much everyone there started kind of looking and dressing like Deanne, which was very, very odd <laughs> because she's the oldest person in the room. So I... <laughs> 
lot and i think that's why that one black girl was like because remember she she sold enough to go on the cruise and she was like mm -hmm. mm, i'll be here when you get back i'm not going on a boat with a bunch of white people and shout out to her because i wouldn't have went either <laughs> black people learn about being on boats <laughs> oh <laughs> that it, it's true it as a I would, especially, I mean, if it was a black people, like a boat full of other black people, okay, but. And like Sinbad Fest. Like I, if if you tell me Sinbad is on a boat, I'd probably get on the boat. That's if fair. But you can't tell me Katy Perry's on the boat. And I'm like, yeah, mm -mm. let's go. Unless she oh, brought Juicy J with her. Faith. <laughs> if Juicy J I, was there and they said that he was going to, they were going to do Dark Horse Live, I might be inclined to get on the boat. Not going to lie. But, because niggas love Juicy J. But <laughs> I didn't really get cult vibes. And I think the reason I didn't get that necessarily from, let me be clear, from this documentary mm. that we watched was because of, I think, so much frustration from the um, contributors. However, I would say from that one woman who talked about how she wanted to be involved in LuLaRoe for the rest of her life, if she could, that is concerning to me because I, I guess I'm the type of person where if, if something's going well for me, that's great and all. But if I see that that same thing is like going horrible for other people and they're having such a hard time and it's not for any fault of their own and it's just like, I don't know, you know, destroying other people's lives. I probably don't want to be a part of it. Well, that, and then it's like, <laughs> well, how long, how long until I'm the person that it's not going well for? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, at some point, you have to think if it's going poorly for all of these people, when does the buck stop with you? Like, at what point right. is it going to go terribly for you? Because it can't mm -hmm. always be great, right? Like, well, unless you're Deanne and Mark. But I think that's where the kind of cult comes into play because they had programmed people so much to like think it's never going to happen to you. And the reason why it's happening to them is because it's their fault. And so they're you just have to make harder. sure you're not making that mistake. Right. And I think where they kind of drilled the whole cult thing home was when they said, you're not allowed to talk to people who don't sell LuLaRoe no more. That, 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 that definitely gives... Yeah gives those vibes for the people that you know leave the business and you're not allowed to to communicate with them you know that definitely like gives that Scientology disconnection Hello. feel you know mm -hmm. um because I think who were the one I can't remember the 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 lady and her husband that were sitting there and they were making like big bucks and it's, it's they did something oh, I saw them on um Extreme, extreme couponing, couponing. <laughs> yeah yeah and they did something but whatever it was Deanne and Mark didn't like it and they threatened to like basically just be like fuck it we know you're making all this money but we're just gonna like throw you out of they were gonna get like excommunicated for Lula Rose like very weird like they had to have a meeting and everything and I don't remember what those people's names were but yeah but that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary was when they like got the email that some folks was about to get terminated and they started calling their friends like, girl, who you think about to get terminated? Who you think about to get terminated? <laughs> oh, it was us. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> that and the, the Chanel line are my two favorite things about the whole documentary. Like, oh, and then also the nephew that got 
fired for sleeping with the, the girls and then he uh he tried to start his own he tried to scam after that yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the google the google image bro you can't be lazy when you scamming <laughs> they, yeah basically so dan and mark hired their like a thousand children two of which are married to each other they're not blood related they made that moral instance yeah, they're not blood related or whatever, but they're married, and um, they all work at the the at the business, and none of them have a business degree or a finance degree or a marketing degree or really any degree at all that would qualify you to work in any of those positions. And we'll just leave it at because people run successful businesses and they build it from the ground up and don't have a degree. So I'm not saying you have to have a degree, but at some point when your business starts making two billion dollars in sales a year you need to hire professionals <laughs> that's that's a lot of money to be having your you know granny sisters nieces cousins dog groomer salon head taken care of like i i don't care if she sold you know 500 leggings on facebook live in two hours like that's not she does not be, need to be in charge of the budget for the year that's a lot right. Right? i'm just <laughs> that's not the person for that but um they start getting sued by everyone <laughs> every single person um basically they are they get sued for the things we said right they're telling people they're selling this boss babe whatever you know that shit that they like to tell people girl boss hashtag girl boss bullshit that they like to feed people about yeah <laughs> about how it's so great and you're going to sell all these leggings and then you're going to make all this money and you can spend all this time with your kids you can be the perfect stay-at-home mom then you can give your husband a blowjob every evening and then pretty soon he's going to retire from his job and then he's going to start selling the leggings and you're just going to sit there and be pretty in the leggings and still give those blowjobs and also Gotta take care of your job, children man. like don't forget about the blowjobs that part was important um, <laughs> i ain't got the sell leggings to give blowjobs very important so if you want to if you want him to open up his wallet you got to get on your knees for five minutes a day so that he will open his wallet to you so the man will open his purse and give you the money i just want to say that's like, a universal rule and that woman did not make it up <laughs> she absolutely did not i don't know if it's good advice for somebody starting out trying to get more legging inventory when they have not sold the other leggings but had you sold well, all your well, leggings and, 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 and just going off that right quick about selling leggings before you can sell the other leggings. Cause what I did find out when I was speaking with some friends of mine is that, yeah, you're selling this, these items. And she said that when she was selling them, she was making good money. But as far as their, you know, trainings and stuff like that, none of it had anything to do with, you know, business sense and, you know, how to run an actual business except put your profits that you're making back into the business mm -hmm. to and buy more leggings inventory. to keep selling leggings and so like people were making these profits and they weren't even being able to keep them to like pay down any type of debt or you know like save up for a goal or take yourself out for a nice dinner you're like all the money that you were making was just going straight back into the business that and louis Vuitton. i think they got yeah they were buying yeah they a lot of them were putting themselves in in debt to try to keep up a, a lifestyle and show it on facebook to recruit other people because Make mm -hmm. no mistake, before they got sued and had to settle, the way you made money was not selling leggings. The way you made money was getting other people to spend five grand to also join Little Pro. So Yeah, and that was definitely part of the sell was the image of success, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that one of the girls said that she, 
um, the biggest motivator to her that she truly believed was the biggest motivator for other people to get into is to show being successful. But she was also like the first or the second person mm -hmm. that was recruited too. So, I mean, she was destined to be successful at some point in time in that business. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I understand, you know, like going to work and wanting to exude, you know, look good, feel good, do good type situation, but I definitely, it's way too much if you have to go into debt or, or get weight loss surgery at the suggestion of your boss or anything like that. Like that was- That's happened to the best of us. <laughs> it was, yeah, that, when they started that talking was, about that going the to Tijuana- got to that part, I was, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It, it but then I got a question like, is, is DM that smart? Like she has to be though, because- if you think about it, having these people being, it's like crack, right? If I'm a crack dealer, I'm going to, I got to have returning customers. So I'm going to give you the first one for free and then you go be hooked, right? So it, in the LuLaRoe, it's literally like, a, we don't give them the um, the tools to succeed. Like as a crack, as a crack dealer, I'm not going to give her, I'm not going to give my person. Um, a, a You're not going to give out the number to rehab. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, <laughs> But what, I'm I, but what I'm going to do is keep like giving them this crack. And that's what it was. It was like, why would we give them the tools to succeed? Because then they go realize, oh shit, we should be doing this, 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 and this. And then this becomes passive income. And I can go uh, like, you know, invest my money into something else. And I can literally get actual passive income. They well, was like, let's keep these women weak. It's prostitution. No, like, you're really these women weak, begging, sucking dick selling legs you're really spot on and on that analysis and i couldn't agree with you more because it does go into i want to say probably like in the fourth episode where they're talking about you know retiring your husband and mm -hmm. how um i wanted i think it was courtney how she was talking about how her husband didn't want to quit his job and he liked doing his job and the reason that they believed that they wanted, you know, the wives to like retire their husbands is just so they would be solely dependent yeah. on this business yeah, as for as their life. Yeah, as soon as it starts to do a downturn, he could be like, it's fine. You don't have to do that no more. We just buy out the rest of this inventory and go. But if he out there selling leggings too, at the end, y'all both got to start sucking dick. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> This is, yeah. And cut. Facebook Niggas getting flagged for sucking dick on Facebook Live and Lulu Rose. <laughs> Could you imagine if they had only things? <laughs> Lulu Rose. And you subscribe to some girl's channel thinking you can see you see her see her feet or something and you can you see the oh, you <laughs> like that shit is hilarious this ain't going on the air is it like it's this true. part right here i do believe that that <laughs> the nebo second dick part should make it but the me dying part can we cut that out the way what part <laughs> the me dying and choking on my own oh, air no. I, I yell i'm cut the parts out with this all wheezing <laughs> oh my god okay so 
they grow really big, like really quickly. So they get sued. Um, but then they also are selling people defective leggings. And this is when shit goes to shit, right? Like everything's good. People are kind of rumbling because the people at the bottom, you know, if you have 80,000 consultants and I'm, you know, number 70,000 through 80,000, obviously I'm probably not selling a whole bunch of fucking leggings. But um, they start getting defective products. Leggings have holes in them. They're moldy. Um, they start finding out that they're ripping off designs. The, the artists are just taking shit from Google and changing it 20% and slapping it on leggings. It looks like you have a penis. Some of it looks like very suggestive, like you have a, like your vagina on the leg. It was a lot. The leggings got very ugly very fast. Like that, we just hanging out. <laughs> that was my favorite one. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower was sent me where it had like the little like Eiffel Tower. Like, no, it was, oh, the Lean Tower Pizza. Never mind. It was Lee Tower Pizza. They had it like in the crotch area, like a penis. Oh my god! Yeah. That had to be the no hamburger though. The hamburger was just straight lips. Bro. <laughs> that shit was, was so dope, bro. I was if, if if I could get any pair of Lululemon leggings, I mean not Lululemon roll leggings. I want the hamburgers, and I'm just saying this is what y'all about to get, bro. Turn up, like. <laughs> I really do like I really do strongly believe that those particular leggings someone's gonna want to buy them and someone's gonna want to pay a lot of money for them hello just because because I'll and I'll tell you and I I told y'all this before um I don't know if y'all have ever you know this this is we're at this part where the quality of the clothing is going downhill where mm-hmm. one of the big selling points for the clothing at the beginning was that anybody of any size looked great and felt great in these clothing mm-hmm. or in these clothes and so the the co-worker I had that was trying to get rid of her inventory I told her you know she was selling things at like um five bucks an item you know just to offload them mm-hmm. and I believe that they would be either like 10 or $15 for her to buy. And then she would sell them for 25. Right. I think that's what the, 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 the formula was for her. And so when she's trying to get rid of this, just get rid of her stuff. I told her, I would just take a pair as long as in my minimalist aesthetic, it's like one solid color. Cause I didn't want the crazy patterns. Um, and the way that she sold me on it, cause I, I was like, like I said this just is not my aesthetic the way that she sold me on it though was she asked me if I wanted to own a piece of history and I was like I do want to own a piece of history so I bought these like cerulean blue leggings which I will say are super crazy soft leggings now am I going to wear them outside of this house no would I have paid $25 for these Absolutely not. Am I paying $25 for any leggings that don't have some type of Sphinx technology in them? I don't think so. But um, they were crazy soft. And what I did like about them is she said that the leggings came in two sizes. They they were, you know, your regular one size fits all. And then there was like a tall and curvy size. And her and I are different sizes, completely different sizes. And when she handed me these leggings, she was like, yes, they'll fit. They fit me. They'll fit you. And I'm just, what do you mean? (laughs) These will fit me. And they do. And it's almost like some sisterhood of the traveling pants type stuff, right? Where, where they, they would be great, but I, 
they were really soft, but I did feel like that they were really thin. And I did feel like when I like put them on, I heard a rip somewhere. I couldn't see where the rip came from. I didn't, you know, so like I said, wearing them only in the house. Um, but I asked her like if she had had any incidents with defective product or stinking leggings or anything like that. And she never had any of the stinking leggings, but she would say that she would get like shirts that were supposed to be say like a baseball tee where the shoulder and the sleeves were different colors in the main part of the shirt. And they were completely crooked. One arm was longer than the other and things of that nature. And all they would tell her to do was just like send it back. I don't know if she ever got her money back Damn. or ever got a new purchase, but they were like, yeah, just send it back to us. And then like, that was it. So selling Gordon Gar trails. <laughs> And just expect you to sell it. I cannot deal with yeah. you today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what it is. They So we had people complaining about moldy leggings. They were saying they got them and they were wet. And basically because LuLaRoe is selling you a dream and saying, well, no, this is perfect and beautiful. And if you're not making money, then it's your fault. And they did this thing where they considered them being playing, you know, playing victims or falling into the victim triangle if they would complain about the inventory because it's like, well, how do I move inventory that has holes in it or is defective or is moldy or wet? And they're just like, what are you talking about? Hmm. I mean, we know that our warehouse is full and that we probably put the leggings outside in bins and then just packed them up and sold them to you, but they're fine. They're not wet or anything. Nothing here is wet. And let's talk about my husband getting mad at the distributor. He probably did something to him. No, it, it was it was basically they would give like these, you know, horseshit answers like, oh, you have wet moldy leggings, just freeze them. That'll get rid of the smell or tear the them out or rinse them out. And they in that point, they weren't taking these defective items back. These hella defective, not gonna be able to sell them. They're like, okay, we'll just sell them for cost. They're, well, I'm not getting any money off of this because I'm selling for cost right? or probably for less what I bought them for you. And you sent me, you know, pieces of crap. Mm -hmm. Right. And they so that doesn't, money. yeah, it doesn't, that's fine that you want me to sell it for cost, but it's not solving the issue of the fact that I paid upfront money for product that I now mm -hmm. cannot sell for a profit. Like that's cute what you're saying, but how does that make me money? If the whole point here is to make money, you've now put me at a, a hindrance and you're saying, oh, well, it's fine. So then this shit just falls apart and they are telling people, you know, I think at some point they had a return policy and after they, did. they had a 100% buyback, mm -hmm. which is also something that I believe you need to have to, in order to be a legal MLM, you have to be able to like sell back your, or get a refund policy or something right. like that. And I want to say they had that going on and I guess they were sending out too much defective shit because so many people were sending stuff back that one day they just decided enough of that. I think it only lasted like a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it wasn't very long. It was a month, maybe two or three months and they were like, no, fuck that. Because obviously, but I think a lot of it too is that these groups had banded together on Facebook and realized that shit was terrible and fucked up and they were like, never mind. So when they started sending the shit back, they wanted out and they wanted their money. And they were like, well, no, we're not going to give, they had to cut it off because people were like, oh, I can just get out of this mm -hmm. and get my money back. Great. Which obviously doesn't make for a great MLM if you're not invested in any way, which is what we were talking about. That's why they don't want you to have any other jobs. <laughs> we need you to keep these leggings and keep selling them. I know Ashley has to go. She's <laughs> mama is on a clock this evening. So we are going to wrap this up. Um, 
So yeah, LuLaRoe ended up settling um, their lawsuits for like $4.7 million. I guess that's being dispersed between the people that sued them. I don't know how much money anybody got. Obviously these people, yeah, these people are not in jail. They're still operating Uh LuLaRoe. You can still go to the website. You can still pay $4.99 and start selling leggings. And honestly, like at this point, if you're still selling LuLaRoe, I imagine there's a market for that because there's only a thousand of you left. So <laughs> those thousand people are probably just fine. Yeah, so I, I definitely when I when I looked at when I looked it up recently to see what was going on, you know, I um considering the major metropolitan area that I live in, there were only two really? distributors. Only two. Well, mm. to be fair, I live in the suburban area of the major metropolitan, but still out of the suburban area that still has millions of people, only two distributors. Um, and I want to say one of them had been selling since like maybe 2014 or 2016. And the other one, I think started in 2019, because it'll tell you how long mm. they had been there. Um, and it was just really interesting. Like I said, some of the clothes, like the stuff that they had on there, I thought was actually really cute but it was just completely outpriced for what I would spend for something like that. Like, like this, th- these are things that I'm thinking of, you know, like your cute, you know, jeans, tops, you know, like maybe ready to wear, ready to wear to work type outfits that, you know, you could probably get like at, I don't know, like Target or JCPenney's or something like that, but just completely like at Calvin Klein prices. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. not... Yeah, so it's absolutely, yes, like a, a certain demographic of people with a certain amount of money who can afford to throw money at buying poorly made shit to wear outside of their house with body patterns on it. Because <laughs> I don't, I, I need shit I can wear to work and that ain't, that's not it. <laughs> I can't come to work yeah. with the owls on the leggings. That's a bit much. Um, I don't know. I don't know if these leggings of mine are going to get another wear because they were only mm. five bucks, but. Yeah, they are super soft. <laughs> I'm appreciative of the documentary because it opened my eyes to like a different, like, it really showed that we are like it living in different stratospheres while being in the same world. Cause mm-hmm. like, I never knew this. I never knew why people were scamming like this. Like I only hear about the black people scamming on Twitter. And so it kind of was refreshing to know that like scamming comes in all- Everybody scams. And- <laughs> yeah scamming is you know it's kind of like a rainbow coalition type joint like everyone yeah. gets to the pie. you can all <laughs> it doesn't matter the time or day you can always doesn't matter what color you are how do the races say it doesn't matter if you're black brown purple or blue you everybody can scam so great just equal Red opportunity yellow black and white we are scamming in the site oh come on let's go <laughs> you know so thank you, Lulu Ro. And thank you, Lulu Rich, for really just opening my eyes to this. And it also, in parallel to like that January 6th documentary, it also just showed me like the liberty of white people and how they can literally just sit there and tell their story and like get no real legal action. You know what I'm saying? So that was just because yeah, they, they agreed like, to willingly come I, there and yeah, tell that story. Like, yeah, I had this deposition and I almost lost my empire, but nevertheless i'm gonna tell you the story of how i started scamming yeah like yeah that's very wild right it's just they kind of failed up into this and they've allowed their children to fail up into it and you know that is just the power of mediocrity in white people and Mm -hmm. power of whiteness like you can be mediocre and sell leggings and make a billion dollars and then you too can pay for Katy perry to be at your convention 
Right. <laughs> uh, any other closing thoughts from you two? <laughs> Shout out to Mario Lopez. Shout out to Mario Lopez. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just, I thought it was a really interesting documentary to learn more about it because I, I had seen the people in my office, I had sold it and I just, I have known for a while that MLMs were not the most, uh, I guess, legit business opportunity, I'll say that, and just seeing the the depths of kind of how sinister it all was, was um, eye-opening and also entertaining film, so, or series. <laughs> recommend yeah, recommend go. so yeah it was good uh <laughs> documentary is called lula rich it's on amazon prime there are four parts but it's actually a very easy chill watch i think all of them are a little bit under an hour so it's nothing super pressing you can kind of walk away come back not in the middle of each part but cer certainly time between parts <laughs> but yeah it was a good watch i binge watched it i spent four hours of my day in the bed and watched it you guys will love it and enjoy it ladies is there any place that you would like to be found on your social media platforms no. <laughs> no no okay nope okay well great um, i had to ask just in case uh, yeah. you can <laughs> you can find me in um vermeek's mentions <laughs> she she is there it's, it is our it is our favorite time of the day when we can just be in each other's twitter mentions so there you go <laughs> but ladies thank you for being on i appreciate it um thank well, you for having you for us. having us and i'm sorry that i fucked up your podcast <laughs> you did not fuck up my podcast this is probably the most entertaining that it has been because no one died or got murdered or went to prison so this is probably a relief for everybody i murdered that pussy when they put that uh, hamburger on the leggings <laughs> okay guys <laughs> good chat good chat Okay, I'm back. That was this week's show. A special thanks to Warnessa and Ashley for agreeing to hop on a Zoom call and talk about MLMs and to Athena, my dog, because she is here to whine and complain that I am not giving her enough pets and treats. So special thanks to the um, unofficial all docked up uh, live stream uh, mascot, but now she's here to complain about me doing this show as well. But aside from that, I don't have anything uh, to wrap the show up with this week. Again, thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Vanessa. Hopefully, I will have you on again uh, very, very soon. Um, as usual, you can find the show at, at MurderVPod. That is on Twitter and on Instagram. If you would like to reach out on my personal Twitter or Instagram, that is at BJ underscore Burton. So, Again, thank you for tuning into the show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode with my interview and our discussion on MLMs. And hopefully I will see you next week. Oh, and before I forget, if you like the show, if you enjoy it, you want to hear more of it, please make sure that you're going to um, Apple Podcasts and you are liking and rating and reviewing. Please give the show five stars if you enjoy it um, and tell us what we can do better here at Murder V Wrote Pod. I am a, a one person show, but again, you tell me what I can do better and I will do my best to make it happen. Um, so again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And this has been Murder V Wrote.